Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Um, I just want everybody to know we've been through a little bit of hell to get here today. <laughs> Technology problems, yep. power problems. That's right. Um, like, so acts of God are getting in the way of this recording tonight. But we're here, and hopefully we'll make it through an entire episode without, um, you know, ComEd needing to step in. I think that... Um... I think it's fitting because the, the, the book we're reviewing tonight is The Grand Dark, which is what I was referring to your apartment as um, on Sunday night. Yeah. Oh, my God. So yeah. I had a power outage on Sunday. Mm-hmm. That was seven seven or eight hours. That's the second like big power outage I've had. And there's been multiple besides that. And it's like I live I don't live in an affluent town, but I don't live in a poor town. And how come they can't get this power like figured out um yeah i don't know I, I don't i don't have an answer i'm just happy that it wasn't me so not only was that sunday that was also 20 minutes ago yeah, power like, outage just for know, a few minutes yeah so. a goddamn storm blows through so like one or two trees are waving around and that's too much for my power lines apparently yep because the it, it's been flickering yeah rob's uh rob's neighborhood got one eighth of an inch of rain today and yeah Rob's power may not hang on. Uh, so yeah. It sucks, buddy. It sucks bad. So uh, I let the cat yeah. out of the bag. The Grand Dark. That's what we're reviewing tonight, right? Yes, that is. So um, that is by Richard Cadry. I'm going to do a quick bio, and then Livius is going to read you about 10 minutes of, of synopsis for this book. So here's the bio. Richard Cadry is a writer living in San Francisco. He is the author of dozens of stories, plus five novels, including Metrophage and Butcher Bird. His Wired Magazine cover story, Carbon Copy, was made into one of the worst movies of 2001. It starred Bridget Fonda. Sorry, Bridget. Kadri created and wrote the Vertigo Comics miniseries, Accelerate. I read that as accurate instead of Accelerate. That would have been inaccurate. Inaccurate, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Which was illustrated by the Pander Brothers. He plans to do more comic work in the near future. He has written and spoke about an art, culture, and technology for wired is written about that's weird anyway for wired the san francisco chronicle discovery online the site as south by southwest and wired for sex on the g4 cable network he is also a fetish photographer he has no qualifications for anything he does it's like the coolest bio I've, i've gotten in a while yeah i the thing i love most about this is that you know there was an adaptation of his a story a cover story but like that it was terrible and he just leans right into it yeah most people would just be like hey a movie was made about this story and that would be the end of it but he knows people have seen this i have not so i'm not this isn't my own commentary apparently it's awful so he just uh leans right into it i love that yeah kudos for a long bio it was at least entertaining um this is rob's first richard cadry book um, I'm a little more familiar, but I did a little bit of digging. I started reading Sandman Slim before we started this podcast, and I was like, I think I've read most of them. But then I realized that I read, I think, six, and they are now 11 Sandman Slim oh, books. Um, Sandman Slim was a, a, a fun series, and not to get into it too far, but it's about a demon who's kind of gets a chance to become human again and then has to fight demons and craziness ensues uh not that i think there's any type of uh, creative borrowing or whatever but i'm reminded of the sandman slim series a lot when i watch the lucifer tv show maybe because they Hmm. both take place in la like a former you know uh, um, person from hell is living in la you know what i mean so there's there's some similarities but um i loved the sandman slim books i read sadly this podcast came along and took all my motivation to read stuff outside the podcast with it. So I left off probably around 2012 or so, is my guess. Aw, that's sad. Sorry, Richard. Sorry, Livia. Hey, apologize to me. I'm the one who deserves the apology for that. Well, you know, know, he was sitting at home like, my readership has dropped off by one. What the hell is going on? He's been questioning himself ever since. He was like, maybe I need to write a standalone novel. Maybe that'll bring that reader back. And you know what? what? Did I... <laughs> Fucking worked. Livius, what have I done? Just tell me. 
Yeah, I'm sure that's now he exactly. Knows. I'm sure I'm sure that's exactly what Richard Cadry's thinking. <laughs> well, here's what he was thinking when he decided to write this book. From the best-selling author of the Sandman Slim series, a lush, dark, standalone fantasy built off the insurgent tradition of China Mieville? Mieville? I don't know how we used to say that when we used to talk about that guy. I thought it was Mieville, Mieville but that could have yeah. just been like one friend said it that way. I don't know. And M. John Harrison, a subversive tale that immerses us in a world where the extremes of bleakness and beauty exist together in dangerous harmony in a city on the edge of civility and chaos. The Great War is over. The city of Lower Prozoa celebrates the peace with a decadence and carefree spirit as intense as the war's horrifying despair. But this newfound hedonism, drugs and sex and endless parties distracts from strange realities of everyday life. Intelligent automata taking jobs, genetically engineered creatures that serve as pets and beasts of war, a theater where gruesome murders happen twice a day, and a new plague that even the ceaseless euphoria can't mask. Unlike others who live strictly for fun, Largo is an addict with ambitions, a bike messenger who grew up in the slums. He knows the city's streets and its secrets intimately. His life seems set. He has a beautiful girlfriend, drugs, a chance at a promotion, and maybe an opportunity for a complete transformation. A contact among the elite who will set him on the course to lift himself up out of the streets. But dreams can be a dangerous thing in a city whose mood is turning dark and inward. Others have a vision of life very different from Largo's, and they will use any methods to secure control. And behind it all, beyond the frivolity and chaos, the threat of new war always looms. Take a breath. Yeah. Yep, that's it. That's the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we always like to do a little uh, synopsis dissection, and one of the things I'll say is that since this is a... like. I would say this is kind of a sci-fi slash fantasy type setting. It's it's um, it's got a lot of world building that goes on, and and so there's a lot of that that has to be done, like uh, explained in the synopsis, and so that kind of explains why the synopsis is longer. Um, otherwise, I think it does a really good job. Um, yeah, by and large, I think it's enough to get you involved. What I um, I, maybe later. I'm not gonna go into it right now. I guess. <laughs> So maybe later. I I feel like our next job should be improving bios and synopses. Sure. And and I feel like there are some elements of this story that really resonated with me that maybe should go into the synopsis, you know, for anybody who reads a synopsis before they read a book, because it's certainly not me and not with this one again. So I get to read them all after the fact. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Um, but overall, I think it paints a good picture of, of what you're in for. Um, yeah, I have a couple of, I'd say that there's a thing or two that could stand to, um, maybe be explained differently, but otherwise decent. All right. We, uh, get things kicked off by being introduced to Largo Morden, M-O-O-R-D-E-N, who has mentioned the synopsis is a bike messenger. Um, he's, uh, he's got a little bit of a problem with a drug called morphia, um, between that and having like the hottest girlfriend in the entire world, (laughs) he's late for work, which to be fair, you know, if you've got a girlfriend that hot and you have a drug addiction, that's probably a a pretty, you know, not acceptable reason for your employer, but at least the rest of us can understand it. So we're pretty quickly introduced to his world, which uh, is spent mostly as a bike courier uh, for a company that's really not ever named. But basically, they uh, they're, they're they're bike messengers uh, in a world where there are a lot of uh, what they was it called in the synopsis automata uh, auto- right. automatons, right? That they could do this. They're they're kind of the last vestige of humans driving things around, and this is something that plays in the back of Largo's head often. Um, we're introduced to his boss, Branca, who is a, a, a man who's uh, very much about business and, and you know tries to instill um, discipline in his coworkers and basically doesn't take much shit. On this particular day, Largo is pulled aside by Branca and told that he is being promoted to head courier and that the person who had that job is gone and will likely not be returning. So it's kind of a, a, a great start uh, to the book for, for our, uh, our protagonist. Yeah. So um, 
we get to see his little, you know, weird courier life in the beginning, and, and it's established that he's, like, in the beginning, it's pretty obvious that he's not, he's by no means, like, your your action hero type character. He's more of just, like, a, he's, he's kind of content, just kind of rolling through life with a, you know, paycheck to paycheck type job, and, um, you know, his drugs and his lady uh, are more or less enough for him. Um, and so after finding out he's got his promotion and doing some, you know, uh, following him around work a little bit, um, after that, we're introduced to the other side of his life, which is, um, his girlfriend, Remy and her life as an actress at the titular theater, the grand dark, it's the theater of the grand darkness is the full name, right? It is. And what a great fucking name it is too. Yeah, um, which has a little bit of a history as like a, th- uh, a theater, but it's got, I guess, it's got a reputation for being um, a theater that displays like pretty controversial plays. And the interesting thing about the theater is it's all done with puppetry, but like in a kind of weird, like, I, th- I imagine like, uh, oh, what's that dude's name who's in everything? Like that stop motion where you got that lame suit on with like the little tennis balls mm-hmm. or like the little golf balls on it, like yep. the stop motion recording. So like there's like the actors are backstage in these suits that like somehow remotely control these life size puppets that are on the stage. Um, and there and there's usually the stories are very um, campy horror type stuff. There's lots of sex and death and blood and dismemberment and stuff like that. So it actually sounds like a fucking great place to visit. Penny dreadful <laughs> is what came to yeah. mind. They're like pen, yeah. little penny dreadfuls, um, which is uh, a terrific and, and a great part. This kind of comes into play throughout the story. This because Remy works there and some of the plays and stuff kind of feature pretty prominently in some chapters. And I got to tell you, this is where we talk a little bit about world building. What a great setting for like, interactions between characters at this at this weird place um una is the uh owner of the grand dark she runs it and she writes all the plays and they're all just these grim macabre tales a lot of them taken from uh yellow sheets which essentially are are what uh, tabloids are are called um now you may have started to notice that we're, we're using terms yellow sheets and some names that aren't uh you know real common this isn't uh you know, Joe and Betty and Mary, right? It's Remy and Largo and, 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 um, Una, yeah. Una. Yeah. So let's explain where this takes place. No fucking idea. Um, could very well be earth. <laughs> All the people are, are, you know, they're humans. Um, but there are, are smidgens of things that could be like near future. Like the way we're moving towards self-driving cars. Their cars are actually driven by robots. Um, there are these things called chimeras, which are um, animals that are created in a lab. So, for example, there's a uh, subset of chimeras that just eat the trash on the street. And that's how the streets get cleaned. There are chimeras that, um, you know, uh, partake in like the animal act in a carnival. There are chimeras that are pets. Um, so, Some power night vision goggles, which I thought was really cool. Yes, yes. Um, but the world, we it's it's a little bit odd, and, and I think we're going to reserve most of this talk for spoiler talk. Um, but I do want to get your take on this pretty without you know spoiling anything. Obviously, it takes place in Lower, and I'm going to get this wrong again. Prozawa, right? But there's a yeah. there's a higher Prozawa, and there's some other places mentioned. So none of these places are on Earth currently. If that's a fair way to say it, there's there's no Prozawa that I'm aware of, yeah. Yeah, but the names, the the names very much all seem very Eastern European. I was thinking it a straight German, like, mm-hmm. um, like instead of saying Mister, you said Air. Yep. Or Mister was Frau, right? Sure. I think that um, Prozawa though is a little bit more on um, the like Polish, Polish side. Yeah, it, it struck yeah. me as a lot of like German, Eastern European. Uh, Parvulesco yeah. could potentially be Romanian. I mean, that's very close mm-hmm. to, yeah. to a Romanian name. So it's kind of weird in that it's not our world, 
but the name seems similar. And then there's some other things. So this is one I'm going to throw out there because I don't think it's spoilery at all. Morphia is a completely fictional drug that I'm aware of. You take it by putting drops under your tongue and you get, um, I would imagine a little bit of like an opiate high is how I took it, right? Yep. Like that kind of really relaxes you kind of feeling. So you have morphia, which is completely fictional, but they also have cocaine, right? <laughs> which is, which is definitely something rooted very much in our earth. So I'm not yep. sure what Kadri was going for, but I will say that there were enough similarities like that to really kind of blur the line between complete fantasy in in that science fiction, this is another world kind of place and mm-hmm. grounded it with just enough things like bicycles to make it partially ours. Yeah. And uh, I mean, like if if the intent was simply just to make it sound foreign as a non-American like the kind of collect you know collection of of european or eastern european terms and and words like the big um ammunition slash artillery company the name is shown machinen machinen and that sounded kind of like yeah like a like it would be how you would translate to like you know machine company or something mm-hmm. in another yeah. language yep. so yeah um that works like it feels like it's not here but familiar enough where it could be yeah like an alternate time in the history of the world or something i didn't there is a map at the beginning of the book and i didn't try and see if it like kind of matches up with any like if it looks like berlin or something but yeah i can imagine it was it was inspired by something although germany being landlocked and it's got a bay probably not the case yeah i i yeah it's just it's it's a really interesting decision making on his part. Not bad, definitely not bad. Intriguing. It works. Yep. Yeah, it works. Um, Iron dandies are the other thing that I probably want to mention in world building. So um, we're just coming off a, a, a war, um, as mentioned in the synopsis. But as uh, as war often does, it brings not just casualties that are dead, but casualties that are alive. So there are a lot of. Um, um, I don't want to say army because I'm not sure if that's exactly what military people mm-hmm. who are disfigured um, in various ways through weapons and whatever. And they all um, hang out around town wearing, you know, like coats that are given to them by the government and then iron masks, um, which, you know, cause an equal mix of intrigue and discomfort for, for other people. So they get a lot of that. Thank you for your service. But then people also give them a very wide berth because they're all kind of afraid of what's under the mask. And I thought that was of all the things that he introduced in this world, I found the Iron Dandies probably could have carried a story all on their own. Very yeah, intriguing sure. group of characters. And it's interesting because I, I, I'm i of the opinion that veterans of, of you know United States military probably could stand to be treated better. Um, but like making them horribly disfigured and almost like cartoonish by wearing these like masks over their face and stuff made it kind of exaggerated. Like they're not just mistreated because, you know, they're no longer useful in in our, in our war, but they're actually like kind of hideous, like a hideous reminder of the thing that we're trying to forget about. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's accurate, but yeah, I mean, just great world building on, on, uh, on his part, I guess is what I was trying to kind of introduce here. Yeah, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about elements of of the of the world building as as they come up. But like, so basically, the beginning of the book is uh, Largo's normal life uh, starting to get changed by this promotion. So like, when he's not working, he's going to the Grand Dark to watch these plays that his girlfriend's in, or going out partying with the uh, large cast of, of um, actors and and stuff from her acting group but with this promotion um he used to just be a courier that went to any kind of random place and it was an unremarkable job but now that he's been promoted to the chief was it chief carrier career yes um he's getting special assignments and so he's going often to the very rich very affluent areas to do deliveries but also to some of the more sketchy areas um, to do uh, deliveries. And and it starts to 
um, become conspicuous. Like it's it's weird some of the places he's going to, and as he's he's introduced to these new places, now it's kind of showing you the spectrum of life in this city. You've got these ultra rich people, and then you've got these you know these super poor, pretty dangerous areas, and the the, the different ways that the people act. And it unveils the fact that, like, even though this uh, this city is kind of in a post-war, um, kind of free and easy time, it's it's not on the surface. That's how it is, but underneath, it kind of more is going on. And there's people who don't necessarily like the way things are and are trying to change um, or want to change the government and 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 stuff like that. Yeah. And through this, through really his kind of internal dialogue and through these deliveries, you know, it was mentioned synopsis that he kind of grew up in one of these kind of shitty neighborhoods. But um, we find out that in, in a lot of literature, the person that grew up like on the streets, you know, in the mean streets of whatever town is like really tough. Um, Largo for a long time has taken the approach of avoiding trouble versus yeah. being the tough guy that gets into it. So it's a little bit, I'm not going to say it's completely unique, but a lot of times when you get Largo's backstory, you get a guy who's badass and he's seen some shit, and, you know, not not our protagonist. He would much rather avoid these things. He goes into these places, you know, he's kind of terrified and stuff. But as Rob mentioned, um, he starts to suspect there's something a little weird about the deliveries he's getting and then how his boss is... Um, you know, questioning him upon his return, that things aren't uh, aren't very normal in his new position as they were in the old one. For sure. And so um, the trajectory then is basically like things, things progress at work, but then also there's other kind of elements that start to creep into his personal life from other sides. So um, there is a, an affliction uh, I guess it's, it's, it's called the drops mm-hmm. and um, it's basically um, kind of a, I think it's the plague that that was mentioned. I think it was mentioned in the synopsis, mm-hmm. some sort of plague. And um, so no one really understands what it is, but um, people just kind of suddenly go into these weird fits of convulsions and stuff. And, and it's really kind of scary. And, and so that, starts to creep into, you know, people on the periphery of, of, of Largo's life. And that has an effect on how things happen. And then there's also just like, as the book progresses, you see more of a radical counterculture type, um, not counterculture. What would be the word? Like an anti-government group kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Radicals on one side. And then you start to see the, authoritarian side of the government with um there's a secret police kind of group called the Nachtvogel. Is that how you would how yes. you would say that? Yes, absolutely. Um who basically they're the police that if if the police are doing something and these Nachtvogel people show up, the police are like kind of afraid of and and uh answer to this it's like kind of KGB secret service kind of not secret service, CIA kind of people yep. and they're scary like if you in if you encounter the knocked vogel maybe you just are never seen again so <laughs> uh, these these types of elements are, are starting to uh, emerge as the story um, evolves and then of course our protagonist gets drawn into every single thing we just talked about like any good thing. <laughs> yeah I, I didn't mean that to be a shot. Yeah. I, I just think, like, how much more can we say about this story? Like, that's, you know, we... And kind of, finally, I think the only other thing that we could say plot-wise without starting to spoil what, you know, what the story turns into is that on top of all of these things that are, like, kind of coming to Largo's attention, uh, suddenly people are starting to just kind of disappear um, and, the, you know, and come back. And, and there's some interesting things that happen with like, you know, someone, I think pretty early on in the book, someone doesn't show up for a few days. And when they come back, it's, it's interesting to see what happens. So like on top of the, you know, the, you know, the kind of two different sides of the spectrum politically, um, and, and this plague, <laughs> there's also people just vanishing. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's a lot going on and it's all, 
it's cool to see how um, how all of those different elements tie into the story of Largo and Remy and all the people that are important in his life. Indeed. Um, I, I want to credit Rob, who did a wonderful job putting together the most thorough document um, for <laughs> this episode. And the reason I say is there is a significant cast of characters, and Rob probably listed out at least 15 of them. And then a bunch of places and things. I mean, there's some some work went into this. Yeah. Um, we have a few groups that you know I'm going to cover very generically. There's um, Largo, and then people who he works with. So the Courier group, we can call them, right? There's the Artsy group, which is Remy's um, co-stars and playwrights and people who work there. But then, of course, they have like the painter friend and like the rich drug provider friend. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have uh, some people on the other side of the spectrum. Um, Bronca, who is, like I said, the boss of the couriers, but I wouldn't put him as part of the courier group, right? Like he's kind of a, a different creature, you know, in that he's the, the supervisor kind of mean, you know, holds Largo's um, career in his hands kind of, you know, kind of person. And then a, a smattering of, of other folks. Um, it's funny because I will give credit um, at one point in the back of my mind, as he continues to get involved in these things, this isn't with getting, um, this is, I hope this isn't getting into spoiler territory. Someone finally says to Largo, like, man, you sure have a lot of like friends in high places. Like this guy starts out like knowing nobody, <laughs> but through the course of the story, he becomes involved with so many people that, you know, someone at least points it out. Cause I was like, man, this guy went from nobody to, to rubbing elbows with everybody in a relatively short period of time in his life, a week two weeks yep. you know i mean it didn't take very long um and all of these characters are surrounded by this really terrific dark world that i kept picturing as like a more populated blade runner if that makes sense like sure. that, that the way blade runner is filmed is how i pictured so many of these scenes in like the the you know like bluish light fog you know, Iron Dandies running around. There's a big-ass carnival that's got super weird shit going on in it. Just a wonderful world that uh, that Kadri created for uh, for his protagonist. It's terrific. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I, so one of the things that I've said, I'm going to talk kind of generally now. One of the things I've said about um, books that do world building is that I just fucking hate it. And I didn't ever hate it in this book. Um, I, I, I it, he introduced me to an entire world and the entire time I was reading it, I was fascinated and I wanted to learn more. And it wasn't just like, uh, some sort of weird history of a bunch of nonsense that makes, you know, sense to explain in the story, but it's never really going to have an impact on the story. That was not the case with this book. Um, the world building that happened was like, um, I almost felt like, so I don't play a lot of video games, but there's that like fog of war kind of effect. Do you know what I'm talking about, Livius? Mm -hmm. Where like you like you only see what's necessary on the board, like or what's within your specific range. And I feel like that's kind of how world building happened here. We learned about the world that um, that um, Largo lives in based on how that world was impacting him or had impacted him in a way that was relevant to the story, which I thought was a great way to build a world. There's so much new information. Like I, like Livia said, I've got like a, you know, maybe 10 different things that I listed that are places and things that don't actually exist, but were important to the book, but they were introduced in a way that was never that boring, monotonous world building that I hate. Yeah. And that's why I give him credit. I think mixing enough normal stuff in it makes it okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I knew in the back of my mind that this was science fiction but I kept convincing myself it wasn't because, you know, science fiction, right? Like that's, that's all I have to say right. about it. <laughs> it. It actually reminded me a little bit of like Corpen's work, like Nick Corpen's stuff where 100%, you know, yeah, it takes place in a place we're not familiar with and stuff, but it's normal enough that I'm not trying to figure out 15 different races of different alien creatures. And, yep. and you know what I mean? Like it was, everything was close enough to home that all I had to do is understand there's a different drug, lots of automation, creatures that are created, 
you know what I mean? Like it, it was yep. very little to add to my my addled little brain that I wasn't at no point would uh, you know after the initial introductions was I was like, well, what the fuck is a chimera or what the fuck is an iron dandy? Like it's introduced well enough that once you've got it, you've got it, and you you don't have to struggle to remember. You know what type of location this is because it takes place on a different planet, that kind of shit. Yep, and there is a little bit of history sprinkled in, um, a little bit in dialogue and and stuff. But there's also these um, kind of interlude chapters where I mean the chapters are just numbered one through twenty four or whatever. But then there's these interlude chapters where, and I thought this was a good touch. Did you read this digitally, Livius? Yes, I did. So in the paper book, I don't know if it's different in the 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 digital copy the interlude chapters where it was like a, you know, um, like a historical document or, you know, something like that, um, or something just talking about the past showed up in a different font. Mm -hmm. So it was obvious that you were looking at something different than the ongoing story. Um, and I thought that was a really good touch. Don't know if it was a different font for me, but it was definitely larger writing. So again, same thing where where it stood out. I don't know if the font, I don't think, I don't think you can, Mix fonts on an ebook. Uh, I know I can change it, can't, but yeah. I don't. Yeah, so but it was at least in larger type. So yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, yeah, and we we should we should mention. That. I'm glad you brought that up because they are interspersed throughout the book a little more at the beginning, but they're like excerpt from the history of the Great War. I'm just making that up. You know yep. what I mean? But that gave you some insight, or um, from an interview conducted by so and so with this person, and then you got a yep. little bit more um, backstory. Which blended in so seamlessly into the book that I forgot all about it until you mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, it was nice, though, because like, that's how you got the history of uh, the Grand Dark. Or, or like Livia said, you got a little insight into um, you know parts of the war that you know were important to the story. So um, very well done. And like, like you said, I mean, th- those were short. So like some of the chapters ended up being like 30 pages long. So this wasn't your Patterson two, two or three page chapters. Like there were some longer chapters, but these little uh, interstitials were always, you know, maybe four pages max. And it was just this little slice of life to kind of give context to whatever else was going on. Do you want to do a spoiler talk for this? Oh my god, yeah. All right. There's so much I want All to right. spoil. So what that means is that Rob and I are going to take a few minutes. Won't be any time for you, but we're going to go over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash booked, where we will talk about the ending of this book. Probably the whole second half of the book, I'm guessing, since we didn't get very far into it um, to avoid spoilers. Um, and that's available for anybody who subscribes at the level of $1 or more per month. And you get access to the back catalog of Spoiler Talk, too. So um, we'll be back shortly. All right, and we are back from a very productive spoiler talk. This is the type of book I'd say that um, uh, my my opinions that were kind of nebulous and floating out there were absolutely solidified in the conversation that happened over there. My, I know that my wrap-up is going to heavily reference conversations that if you didn't <laughs> listen to yeah. the spoiler talk, you're not going to sure. understand. So uh, that's my plug. Go to Patreon, give us a dollar a month, and listen to what we what we said over there. As long as you're not either a not worried about getting it spoiled, or b you've already read the read the book. So um, this brings up an interesting point. Just step away from the book for a moment. I really get, and this is this is not a sales pitch. And I'm going to show you how this is not a sales pitch for you to like go over and to Patreon. Look, if you read books, find somebody else that'll read the same fucking books as you, so you can have conversations like Rob and I have. Because you know what? It enriched the book. In some cases, Rob pointed out things to me that made me think a little differently about the book. In this case, I didn't have a lot of negative thoughts about the book. But I was like, oh, you know what? He's right. That is kind of interesting how he did that. That type of thing. And you know what? You just can't fucking get... I've read thousands of books on my own. And then never fucking talked about them to anybody. I'd be like, oh, dude, you have to read this book. It's great. It takes place in Prozawa. And uh, it's like about this dude <laughs> and there's like crazy actors and drugs and shit. Like, you know what I mean? And then you're like, read this book and then you don't think about it again. Or if you think about it, you're stuck in your own head. So, yep. um, you know, whatever. If you're a Patreon contributor or not, if you are, you should totally check out what we're talking about. If not, at least find someone you can share your thoughts on a book with. Start your own podcast. Yeah. Or not. Don't do that. I don't know. Maybe you should do that. So Livius can hate you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need more enemies, so uh, you should do that. <laughs> anyway, Rob, are you ready to to do your wrap up? 
Yes. All right. Let's do it. Uh, this is my first, and this is one of those, I hate it when I have to say this is the first time I'm reading something from an author who is like so established and well-known and, and has a body of work that is admired and, and spoken of and stuff like that, but that's the case with this. Um, this is my first time reading Richard Cadry. Richard, I know you're listening. Apologies. I was at a different place before this podcast, and, and I'm thankful now that I get to read, um, I got to read this book. Um a lot of the conversation in, in, in spoiler talk really calcified my, my thoughts on the book. Um, but going into it, I'm not a big fan of like fantasy sci-fi type of stuff because of the world building element. Absolutely not a problem with this book. He built the world in a way that was uh, tight and efficient and um, never like this grand mythology. I got what I needed to, to understand what was going on in the story. So like, if if this is world building for Kadri, I'll read anything that he writes. So that's my first thought. <clears throat> Going beyond that, um, one of the things that we talked about in Spoiler Talk that I think is one of the things I'm most enthusiastic about this book for is that um, he incorporates a subversion of expectations um, at a character level, but also kind of on like a plot or narrative level that is fucking brilliant like he does stuff that you would never expect a writer to do um based on the fact that like any sane editor or writer would tell you like oh you can't do this because it takes away from the story um and he did these types of things in a way that did not take away from the story but it made it a fresh different approach to telling a story that i thought was just fantastic and so like he won billions of points with me uh, for that. Now, going away from the kind of these grand concepts that I have, it's just an entertaining book. It's got cool elements to it. It's got kind of a darker, not noir, but like gritty, darker kind of feel to it. Um, it's got some sexiness going on with like the theater and, and, and the things that are happening there and fun, kind of like Livia said, Blade Runner type feel to this, to this world. And it all just worked. It all worked. I liked the characters. I liked the story. And I liked all the other things I already said. And I don't really have an objection to this book. I can't think of something where I was like, oh man, I wish this didn't happen like that. So Kadri just knocked it out of the park for me and it's absolutely five stars. I refuse to discuss this book as science fiction. So longtime (laughs) listeners of the podcast will know I have no love for science fiction. I recognize where someone might confuse it for science fiction, but this book is far too good for that. Um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to just echo things that Rob said. Um, I loved so many of these characters and the potential that they had over in spoiler talk. I, Rob and I probably loosely outlined three other books that come out of this <laughs> world. Right. So, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not kidding. Like there is so much more that you can tell with the foundation that Kadri has built. Um, the characters were um, tremendous. Even the ones that you know you weren't supposed to like, you, you were interested in. Um, there's like we like we didn't mention. There's a I don't know what's the word. I'm I'm like like a subversive musician um, woman that appears mm-hmm. in this book. She she takes up like a whopping three pages all told. And you know, regardless of how important she is to the story or not, she's got a backstory in this world that's worth hearing. Like that's. Like every aspect of this book feels that way. Um, so, uh, Richard, in the event that you are listening and you want me to outline some other things for you, I'm happy to do it. Um, just, you know, hit us up and I'll tell you how to write your next three novels that take place in lower Prozawa, whatever. I, we've given up on trying to say <laughs> it. Um, so the world building was terrific. The characters were terrific. I started off spoiler talk by explaining to Rob how I had it all figured out at the 50% mark. And then I had to explain to him how I was wrong. Um, and that was good, too. There were some things that I expected uh, to see that I didn't see. There were things I didn't expect to happen that happened. And it uh, it, it uh, made for a very pleasant experience. Because at one point, literally halfway into the book, I was like, got this whole thing figured out. Now I just got to barrel through another, you know, 200 pages to, to get to the end to, so I can prove myself right. And that was not the case. So that was also very pleasant. Look, I really liked the first however many Sandman Slim novels I, I read. 
I'm probably too far removed from it to go back and read them, but I can tell you that I'm probably going to read whatever independent stuff Kadri does going forward. I'm also going to give it to five stars. Boom. Hell yeah. Richard, if you're listening, bookedpodcast at gmail.com to set up that interview that I know you're dying to do. Yeah. If you want to tell us more, we have questions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would love to, I would love to talk about this with the author. Like it's just such an interesting, it would be interesting thing. It would have to be the first spoiler talk interview. Cause I want to know yeah. about this, these naming, um, like I would never ask, you know what I mean? Like publicly, but be like, come on, man, what's this all about with all these names and what's this place and where's it supposed to take place? And you know, I am, he'll be like, well, I don't know. And I'll be like, you're a liar. You know exactly what it is. <laughs> so who knows? Anyway, I'm glad that you, uh, opted for a cadre book. Just tremendous. I'm glad that I was able to bring you over to the dark side on a, on another writer. Um, I the think grand I, dark side. Yeah, even the name, the grand dark, is terrific. Yeah, and, dude. And yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I'm all right. I'm done. I'm done gushing over this book. Everybody <laughs> should go out and buy a copy. This thing's only been out for like a week. I think two weeks, whatever. Yep. Rob, what else do we have? Uh, I mean, uh, we we kind of addressed that we have a full docket. Oh my before. god, Jesus! Yeah, um, but I just want to kind of illustrate what's what what the hell is going on, um, because for the first time in booked history, we kind of have our shit together about like, <laughs> or the planets are just aligning in a way that they usually don't. Um, so I'm bringing up a spreadsheet. So just strap in because it's always just, like wait. the most exciting. I'm also trying to find the spreadsheet, and I'm reminded that Rob at some point is going to be like, "Can we review the novelizations for Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day 2? Oh god so yeah all right we're gonna, we're gonna take a little side tour i'm fucking going around to all the half price books in like the northern illinois area and so the first time for the first time i went to the one in algonquin um this this past weekend um as my power went out um like my power went out when i was uh out shopping for books and i drove through this hellish storm where like trees are falling in the road and it was it was <laughs> crazy but i was already in my car driving when that storm hit so it's not like i'm just like well i don't care if there's a storm i'm going to buy books um anyway i get to this place and it's just got tons of books like i don't know i didn't show you livius but i picked up like seven books there um and i actually with a massive amount of restraint there was a uh, a first American hardcover and a first American paperback version of raw shark texts that I did not buy. How dare you? Even though I don't have the paperback first edition. Um, so I did exercise a lot of restraint. One of the books that I found <laughs> that like is insanity and I can't even like, I, it, there's no reason I bought it, but I just couldn't not buy it. There is a paperback, um, a book that was a novelization of the movies Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day 2 and I was like what does this mean is it one story and they just like mix it all together no it's two books in one how so I know that a lot of movies get novelized right they don't have to be good movies they don't whatever I happen to really like the first Happy Death yeah. Day and I thought the second one was okay I know that's kind of how you felt about them too right how the fuck did somebody think to novelize that at all but not just that. They're like, we're going to novelize both of them in one fucking book. Like, how? Well, here's the interesting thing about that. I don't, I don't have it close enough at hand. Uh, it's on the bookshelf. It was novelized, I believe, by the movie production company. That's so fucking weird, man. So, like, I think it's Bloomhouse. So... It's just it's because we we you know we've talked about this about novelizations and are yeah. they important should they exist anymore previously and I've got to say even as a, as I'll, I'll say overall a fan of that series I don't know if they're going any farther with it that didn't fucking need to be novelized as a matter Not of fact a little, yeah. I think that story is dependent on visuals yeah I, I fully agree so starting the day over again in writing seems like a terrible way to fucking do something. It sounds pretty tedious. Yeah. So, but I couldn't. I couldn't resist buying it. I couldn't. I could. I just couldn't resist. Um, I, uh, one thing I did pick up, you'll be happy about, Livius, was a paperback copy of the Lansdale book *Dead Man's Road* that we reviewed a fucking lifetime ago. Oh my God! You said that, and I was like, "That sounds." I think I've heard of that, but I probably heard about yeah. it on this podcast. 
probably did. <laughs> so yeah, uh, happy death day and happy death day too. You, how, to you. How many half price books have you been to? Um, like five or six now. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I um, I didn't go to any half price books this past week, so I don't, I don't know. Have we ever decided? Is it cool for me to just take all my art copies there? Or do I have to like fucking donate them to Goodwill? Do we ever decide what the right thing to do was about that? Yeah, I think that. Well, the thing that I I hit upon was um, donating to library book sales. Oh yeah, yeah, that yeah. Because it's supporting a local library. It's not supporting like Goodwill or Salvation Army or something. That's like. I mean, which are good causes, but well, Salvation Army hates the gays, so we we don't want to talk about them. But um, I, I just think a library book sale is like it, it seems like because the whole focus of a library is reading. So for me, and by the way, the wall is like two books away from being complete. <laughs> Rob's, the wall of books building the wall. Listen, I, st- I want to talk about this, and, and you may want to take this out or whatever, but I still want to get a booked, like, take a book, leave a book thing going. How is that going to work? Well, they, they have them everywhere, right? Oh, so, like the little, yeah, like, yeah, li- like... Yeah, where you, you know, and, and hmm. you know what? Just imagine how excited someone might be when we put one of these arcs that comes in. That's something that we would never, ever look at. It's akin to like when the guy saw me reading the Mallerman book in McDonald's and asked how I got a copy of that. <laughs> but imagine <laughs> like someone surprised when they walk up and there's the new insert romance writer's name here because I can't remember any of them. You know, like I don't know. Yeah, something I think that would be cool to do. Something that's yeah. branded with our. Not that I think like people would you know come to the podcast or whatever. I just think it'd be really cool. Maybe we just need to reach out and see if we know anybody that can help us build one of those. Like paint it our logo stuff no it'll be like yeah it'll be like the movie tragedy girls where the the bitchy did you see the movie no no the bitchy girl that nobody likes makes a um one of those lending library type of little that would be houses Mm -hmm. um but um that's her way of getting some like getting qualified for some award or something and so it's all self-serving anyway you want to talk about upcoming books so uh, a few anomalies um we have i don't know 10 more books planned out for this year already which is insane because that's never happened but we are smack dab in the middle of reviewing four books in a row and that's probably only happened like three times in the eight-year history of this (laughs) podcast yeah and the tricky thing is like some important books just released um so it's release date for uh, today is that we're recording July 2nd is the release date for our next book, Paul Tremblay's growing things and other stories. So um, we're trying to, we're, we're getting to that in a, in as timely a way as we can. But um, the ninth, actually I think Chuck Wendig's the wanderers released today, even though like I have the ninth listed as the release date, but also John F.D. Taft's the fearing released on, on July 9th. And so, our month of July is already taken up and the Wendig book is almost 800 pages. So we're not going to be able to get to stuff as they release necessarily, but like within, within a couple of weeks. And it's just because God damn, we've been doing a lot of reading and there's a lot of stuff piling up. So I think after, I think after Tremblay, we might have to do an interlude just to give us time to get through Wendig. Um, yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, uh, I also want to say that um, this is an impressive lineup. I'm really excited about some of these things. So I'll throw out just a few. Rob mentioned a few. We have a new John Bassoff book, The Warehouse by Rob Hart. Uh, We're going to do another Joe Hill book, John Horner Jacobs. It's a name that we haven't really talked about on this podcast in a number of years. And potentially... Oh, before you move on from that, Jacobs' book actually releases on my birthday. Oh, well, there you go. See if you can get him to send you a couple copies for your birthday. Yeah, yeah. An Aaron Morgenstern book. This, I'm going to be devastated if this book doesn't work for me because I've been waiting for this book since two, for like six years. I know. I know. And it's still like, look, we love a lot of books that we review, but very few does like both of us have like an emotional attachment to the Night Circus. Yeah. 
So yeah. um, even after all these years, I'm also kind of excited about a new Mark Danielewski book, except for the fact they sent fucking Rob a copy that I'll have to borrow because they didn't send me a fucking copy. <laughs> so I'm a little negative. Minus one star there, Danielewski. Just oh, FYI. Shit. Hey, you don't even send out the emails. They sent out emails for both of us asking for that book, so you have nothing to complain about. Um, I will say the nice thing about that after, like, after, uh, so, like, key page update, we're close to, like, I think 7,000 7, pages already for the year for what we've reviewed. Um, and that includes Libius reviewing the Mister. So, like, our own personal page counts are going to be off for mm-hmm. the rest of the year. Personally, I'm 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 coming up on I think 7500 pages and it's like halfway through the year. Yes, and when I look at some of these, some of these are going to be beastly books too. I, you know, he mentioned Wendig's The Wanderers, right? 800 pages. I can't imagine the warehouse is going to come in under 400 pages. Uh Joe Hill doesn't write short books. Right. Morgan yeah, some Stern. Fatties. I don't think Morgan Stern writes short books. Now, I have to ask because you know you have this information and I don't. Is is the little blue kite like a straight up kids book? Is it like 150 words on a bunch of colored pages? <laughs> it's exactly what it is. All it's right. like 96 pages total. Although here's the cool thing. Um, I'll do a little. I'm gonna get the book. This my, you this, can hear my chair. This asshole. Oh, let me touch the book that you're so jealous about not having. Let me, yeah, let me get this book. It's in my hands now. I'm touching it. Um, 93 pages of text and like, yeah, some pages have like four or five lines. Some have like three words. Um, in the beginning though, Livius, this is what's interesting. Uh, the only, it says the only other thing you might want to know about this book is that there are at least three ways to read it. The first takes only a few minutes. Just follow the rainbow. In fact, if you have a little extra time, you can read it right now. The second takes only a little bit longer. Just follow the words haloed with blue and red and the rainbow words too. For the third way, just start at the beginning. So there's three separate ways it recommends uh, reading this book. shit. All right. I am going to go because I have to send an email from my own personal email account to see if I can get a copy of that. Um, but I'm, I'm excited. We have a lot and that, that still allows for a, a, just a, a couple more books because we also have the Halloween Spectacular. We have the holiday office party coming up. Um, we still are waiting on one Patreon selection for a book we're going to review. We already have one has been submitted from our two eligible Patreons where we will review a book of their choice with them if they so choose. Yep. Um, so I don't know that we're going to cram a lot more books into this. What I will say here on this podcast is that we are going to do our damnedest before the end of the year to bring you an interview with Mark Danielewski. Our damnedest. Our damnedest. Rob's damnedest. Probably. I'm going to do a little flexing to see if we can get Kadri just because I want to keep talking about that book, too. I am down for that. And um, we did mention in our, I'll say we're in discussion with Matthew McBride to have him on, too. So I'll be honest, the way our schedule is looking, that might mean some bonus episodes where you get just an interview episode dropped amongst a ton of books that we're going to review. So that's all I've got. I, th- I think that's enough. I think we yeah, we're, I think we're going to do a lazy 2020 of podcasting after this like book filled. This is the year that we've been waiting for, though. Like we've been, we had such shame over 2016 and 17 and how little we read. This is like a revitalization, I, I believe, and uh, and I'm very excited about how much I'm reading. It makes me happy. So far, so good. Next week, Paul Tremblay. Growing Things and Other Stories, one of, and I'm saying this publicly so we could stick to it, one of the only two short story collections we'll be reviewing this year. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I'm thanking the heavens that the power stayed on for this entire episode. Um, that's going to wrap it up. Join us next week for that. Join us the rest of the year for just a ton of awesome stuff. And until next time, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading. <laughs>